Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Deep Dish Radio. I'm Tim Powers. My guest today is comedian and producer Dave Park. Dave is a member of the Dr. God Comedy Ensemble and the producer of Mockpocalypse, which is a uh, television show on the Axis cable channel, AXS. Uh, if you don't get that cable channel, call your cable operator right now and demand that channel. It's a very funny show where comedians give their insights about music. Dave is the executive producer for Mockpocalypse and an on-air talent, but he has also uh, appeared on IFC, AMC, Comedy Central, the TV Guide Network, and tons and tons of others. He's in Los Angeles right now and promoting Blood-Sucking Bastards, Dr. God's feature film, which is available through the good folks at Shout Factory. Check it out now. Here's Dave Park. It's Deep Dish Podcast. Subscribe today and tell a friend about Deep Dish Podcast with Tim Powers. With Tim Powers. So making a name for itself in uh, in comedy right now is is Doctor God and Dave as a as a as a member and a representative of that group. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every every improv troupe that comes together is like someday we're gonna make it. Someday we're gonna make a movie, and then they start dating. You know, somebody interdates and the group falls apart. Um, yeah. you guys made it to the point that a lot of improv groups want to get to. Can you kind of can you walk me through how uh, how the group came about? Uh, sure. Yeah. So it started out sort of um, as a as an improv cage match group, and and you know there's competitive improv uh, all over, I guess nowadays. Um, and this was wow, back in I want to say 2006 or something like that. I could be off on the year, but it's somewhere around there. And um, yeah, there were some other people in the group that are that some people have moved away and some people left the group, and uh, Neil Garjulo. Um, was the one who sort of started that iteration of it. And uh, he asked me to play in this cage match group uh, at Iowa West. And we went like a bunch of weeks um, consecutively winning. Uh, we like, I guess, beat the previous record. We just kept going. We really enjoyed doing it. And then they retired you after a certain point. And 
so then we just kept playing. We really enjoyed playing with each other, and uh, we got regular time slots uh, there, played other places around town, and um, and we started doing festivals. We started sort of going around to different improv festivals, and um, we befriended Matthew Lillard because Justin Ware, who's in the group, had written a movie that uh, that Matt was in, and he came and he did the monologues uh, in you know in, in our monitor and ASCAT style show. Right, and um, we went up and to the to San Francisco for either Sketchfest or San Francisco Improv Festival. We did both of them, so I don't remember which one it was. And he kind of had like a, I want to call it a, yeah, kind of a come to Jesus speech of sorts, where he was like, "This is all really awesome what you're doing, and like I love playing with you guys, and I love you know watching you perform and and all that." But he said, "If you know, if you want to take it to the next level," and um, we kind of thought to ourselves, "Well, yeah, we do." And so from that point on. We switched over from, you know, having rehearsals every week to sort of having business meetings every week. And, and we started sort of uh, putting goals together and, and writing scripts together and uh, pitching shows together. And uh, so it kind of went from an improv group into a larger sort of comedy production group of sorts. How did uh, that uh, how did that affect the dynamic? Because when you go from, hey, it's fun to, to yes and each other and, and hey, it's fun to just do these festivals and stuff. And then you start having expectations on another member and relying on that other member. I mean, every improv troupe that I'm in, there's always like two or three flaky people, um, you know, were there were there personnel changes? Were there personality changes? Did did you did you all grow as humans as a result of going yeah, from mean, an improv group? Yeah, that's a good question, you know, and and I think it's kind of an extension of, of uh, of the work, right? Of sort of you know of having to rely on each other, and if you don't and you don't hold yourselves accountable, then it can kind of fall apart. Um, and like I said, yes, there were some personnel changes, uh, but mostly, I mean, that that just sort of happened for the most part, kind of I don't want to say naturally, but uh, it just sort of worked itself out like some people just you know it's a tough business as you mentioned and so some people just moved away right. and other people just sort of quit and uh yeah it, it it was just sort of a thing that kind of happened naturally and then as far as the personality changes i wouldn't say it changed too much i mean we just certainly got more serious about um about our work you know um so in that sense we we i don't want to say change because everybody you know was serious but this just sort of this was a different kind of seriousness it was just like okay let's become more professional about this you know if you want to treat if you you want to succeed in this business then you kind of have to treat yourself and by extension your group like a business to a certain degree that's not you know not to say we took the fun out of it because we didn't because we love playing with each other and love being with each other and, and you know we are such great friends that it doesn't really you know, it, it didn't affect that at all. It just sort of strengthened it. Yeah, that's um, the 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 um, intersection between art and business is not always an easy one, and it takes a very special person to to walk that tightrope. And I'm always impressed yeah. with groups like yours, for example, where you can have that intersection and you can say all right you're you're great at this art thing but i also need this script by tuesday and it cannot be late you know and and that yeah, happens totally yeah and and everybody in the group sort of brings their own unique skills to bear in that sense and everybody um you know had a sort of a different background but a background that was 
directly related to the industry. Like I had been working in television production um, since I moved out here. I moved out here and, and I started out as a PA and I worked for a number of years at, at one cable network and um, uh, now I'm a permalancer and, you know, or a you know, freelancer. I was a permalancer there. Right. Um, and, you know, so I had sort of a, a television production background and Brian O'Connell, director, he went to North Carolina School of the Arts with like uh, David Gordon Green and Jody Hill. And so he had directed features before he directed Angry White Man and another feature. So, you know, he had, he had that sort of um, production, production background and film school background. Mm-hmm. Justin Ware, as I said, had a screenwriting background. Uh, Neil was also working in television production. Um, and then Sean uh, runs a number of festivals out here and has a theatrical background from Emerson College. And, you know, so everybody, everybody had their own sort of, like I said, specialized angle, and that really brought it to bear. It wasn't like anybody was, you know, um, you know, somebody who was just on a lark took an improv class and was like, this is fun, but was an actual, you know, an, an insurance actuary or something like that. And in the meantime, like everybody came out here with the intention of being involved in, uh, in the, you know, film TV world. Right. Yeah. The explosion. But also of- everybody had the art. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. The, the explosion of, of improv in the last 15 years in Los Angeles has been huge. Um, you know, the influence from New York and Chicago is, is pretty obvious, but you know, I came to town 10 years ago and there were a handful of outlets and uh, not everybody was, was in an improv troupe. And now everywhere you go, it's like, it's like Liverpool in the sixties. Everybody's in a band, (laughs) you know? No, totally, man. Yeah. I mean, it really, it, it, it feels like it's reaching critical mass or maybe a tid or, you know, a tipping point. It's just, yeah, it's really huge. And there's so many. So many outlets, and I think ultimately that's good because you know, more people get a chance to get up there and, and perform, and uh, and it sort of it it went from being this sort of esoteric um, kind of comedic art form to like a bona fide comedic outlet and an art form. I think that's great. Yeah, it really does. But what it does to one internally, especially you know, if you follow guys like Dell and Viola Spolin. Um, you know, and you really get to the nuance of, of what, of, of the theory of improv. It's surprising that it's as popular as it is and people are as selfish as they are <laughs> in a community, yeah. you know? Sure. But sure. people are people. I mean, yeah, that, that's unfortunate that, 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 that's the case, but. You know, you can't change human nature, I suppose. I suppose not. But then there's then there's the groups like yours, uh, and and the and mm-hmm. the core five upright citizens brigade guys, and and you know, well, for every ten thousand groups, there's four or five that that start to make a name for themselves, and and you guys have done that to the point where uh, folks can see uh, Doctor God Weekly, and uh, and the yeah, Apocalypse yeah. Show on uh, on the Axis Cable Channel. Can you tell me how that came about? Yeah, so um, that came about. Uh, Neil Garzula was working there as a writer for a show that is uh, that is now canceled, called Access Live, and um, which Ryan Stout, incidentally, who's on Apocalypse, was the host of. Right. And um, then he went on to be a writer producer for them, and then he brought me on board, and we were working in promos and other sort of departments here and there. And we, uh, you know, sort of looked at the landscape of their programming, and I saw that they had comedy and that they had music programming, right? They didn't have any sort of comedy shows about music. Um, So we 
sort of wrote up the idea of uh, of what we thought the show could be, which is sort of you know it, it is that green screen evergreen style. Like I love the '80s or Best Week Ever, but we didn't want it to be topical. Like I said, we wanted it to be evergreen. Right. So uh, we took we we took you know genres and categories of music uh, as opposed to like music news, you know, and um, and we pitched that. We had already done another show for them, uh, which was sort of a, a backdoor pilot of sorts or a, you know, a proof of concept, uh, which was a Super Bowl party show. So it was like it was it was about the history of Super Bowl parties and like Super Bowl culture. And now it's called the Super Party Super Special. <laughs> and um, it was it was sort of a very similar in terms of the format um, and structure. But uh but that sort of, you know, was the template for what we were going to end up doing um, with Markpocalypse. And so, yeah, so we pitched that to uh, to the powers that beat over there. And, um, and uh, yeah, now here we are. Yeah, and you're, you're three seasons in, you know, and, and it, it transcends beyond uh, the core group of Dr. God. You've got guys like, like Abe Ben Ruby, uh, who, by the way, I worked with his dad in radio 18 years ago. Oh really? Yeah, his dad is a guy as Asher Ben Ruby. He was called Smash and uh worked at a handful of stations in St. Louis and just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet and very proud of Abe. <laughs> Which is so it's a Yeah, he has reason to be. Abe's a great guy and, and super talented. And um we love we we love him. He just uh he just did one of our Doctor God shows as a monologist um in the, the uh, improv festival. Uh I wanna say like a month and a half ago or so. But yeah. Um yeah, so we were able to sort of open up our stable to people that we, you know, that we have worked with over the past 10 years or so, or however long. I think it's almost 10 years at this point. Um, so we were able to sort of open those doors up and, and bring in people that we either, you know, had a relationship with or sort of wanted to. Like, um, you know, guys like Jimmy Pardo and Jamie Kaler, I sort of tangentially knew through people. Yeah. But, um, and Frangela. Uh, but, you know, I I didn't directly know them, but I, I was an admirer of their work. And, you know, to suddenly be in an executive producer position where you're able to sort of, you know, to hire them, to bring them on board, if, you know, if they wanted to, which they did, thankfully, was yeah. great, you know, because you're sort of, you're able to now be a, um, a contemporary and a peer of theirs. And, and, you know, there's just, there's, there's a mix of, you know, really established talent like that, and also emergent talent, you know, maybe people that, uh, that aren't necessarily household names or, or you know, don't uh, tour the circuit to the same degree that some people do, but um, but are just as, you know, just as talented. And so it's great being able to, and it has been great, being able to sort of give them an outlet. Right, and it's a, it's a little deeper than the, the shows you mentioned earlier. Instead of going, hey, remember Convoy? That was a dumb song. Eh, on to the next yeah. thing. There's actually some content to it. There's some thought. You're actually getting opinions rather than going, Rubik's Cubes were dumb. You know? Yeah, exactly. And we wanted to kind of differentiate ourselves that way, you know, because um, those shows, yeah, when, when it's just like, hey, remember this thing, there's not a lot of substance there. And, and one of the things that I love about this job and, and about the show and about music is all of the stories and the histories behind it, all the, all the stuff that, um, you know, maybe you don't see in the, in the liner notes, you know, the stuff in between the liner notes, as it were. Um, you know, the, the, like just all the amazing backstories um, that are out there and, and facts. And, you know, when you have consulting producers 
um, like Dave Holmes, who's a walking encyclopedia of music knowledge, it really it really lends itself to that. I mean, he's able to bring stuff to bear when, when we're coming up with the creative on it. He's like, oh, how about this? And you're like, wait, we just researched that for hours and didn't have any idea that that was a thing. So, <laughs> so he's able to sort of to supply examples of stuff, you know, off the top of his head um, that maybe initially felt as it cracks research-wise. Um, but, you know, that's what's great about about this process. And, and that's what, again, like, people really respond to that. And a lot of people out there, uh, we get messages and, and, you know, people tell us they're like, it feels like you're laughing and learning something at the same time, you know, which is great. That's what we want. We want people to sort of get a deeper understanding of the, the genre of music and the history of it, but also, you know, be entertained. It it strikes me as I as I listen to you tell your perspective of the show that it reminds me of what radio used to be twenty years ago, where you'd play a record and the jock would come on and go, "Hey, you know that was the the Rolling Stones. You know they recorded that song in a castle when they were all completely ten- and now you know there's radio's dead. the The talent can can only speak yeah, sadly, you know for yeah. fifteen seconds and they can't get into that. So it's up to the hardcore fans to actually be able to tell these stories, and they either get spread word of mouth or on a show like this. It's really kind of an interesting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, interesting thing. Yeah, oh, it really, it really, it really is. And it's, it's sad that that's the state of, you know, of uh, radio today, but it, you know, it's, it's good in the sense that we're able to sort of uh, have that outlet and survive you with that knowledge. That's true. And so what kind of doors has Mockpocalypse opened for, for Dr. God and for you, Dave? Yeah, well, um, for, for us as a group, I mean, we're already, can't really go into details, but we're, we're working on a, uh, another, uh, cable pilot right now. Um, that we will be going into production on soon. Um, so, I mean, I think it shows that that we as a group, um, you know, like I said, we all have our individual sort of backgrounds when it comes to production, but it shows that we as a group, you know, have an established show that is successful and um, that, you know, we are we're sort of a one-stop shop for, for you know, creative and production um, in, in general, in general and at large. So I think, you know, in that sense, it shows that, that we have the skills to pay the bills, I guess, as it were. And then, yeah. you know, individually, it just, um, it's the sort of culmination of a lot of hard work out here, um, you know, and, and working my way up, like I said, starting as a PA and going to AP and the second producer and producer. And, uh, 
rising the ranks, as it were, and, and uh, you know, just uh, enduring the cliche that it's a marathon out here and not a sprint, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, it, 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 I think we, we, we kind of glazed over it, but it is, it was a lot of work for you guys. It's not like you were, you know, a, a receptionist at a bank and you're like, I'm going to take an improv class at the haha house. And, and then two right. weeks later, the, somebody goes, God damn, you're brilliant. Be, you know, sign here and you're on TV. No, it, it wasn't like yeah. that at all. No, no. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Lloyd Alquist, who's Epic Lloyd of, uh, uh, you know, that, um, the uh, Epic Rap Battles of History. Or, I, yeah, Epic, that's what it's called, Epic Rap Battles, or right. I always forget the name of it. Uh, but, he, you know, I, I've known him through the years, and, you know, that is huge. That show's absolutely massive, and, you know, he's touring the world right now with it. And I was talking to him, because I had read some article after it sort of first blew up. He's like, yeah, every angle is uh, is is sort of like overnight success. He's like, yeah, overnight success, 14 years in the making, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, he, he, there were 14 years of him studying improv and coaching teams and, and teaching improv, you know, before that came about. And, and similarly, like with us, there's a lot of hard work that was behind, you know, uh, our, our recent success. And then there still is a lot of hard work to do. And it doesn't really happen that way where it's just, yeah, you know, like you're saying, that model of somebody being in a bank or whatever and then being discovered. I mean, it really, there, there's, I can't, you know, I can't name every project that didn't work to get to the ones that did because there's so many of them, you know? Right. Um, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's still a lot of scripts that we're sitting on where it's like, oh, well, that, that is not as sophisticated as, you know, what we're trying to do down the line or like, that was great, but it's kind of dated now, you know, or, it's just that thing where you're always you just have to constantly constantly be working, always be working. You know. You're right. I mean, uh, people people say I want to be the Beatles, and you you look at what they did in Hamburg. You know, to, just to bring it back yeah. to music, that you know, the, the he, these are 18 year old kids playing in Hamburg, playing 10 hour sets, playing guitar for 10 right. hours a day, and that's why they were who they were. And you know, with with any group. Uh, whether it's comedy, whether it's 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 improv, whether it's you know a, a writing group, um, you put in that ten thousand hours, and and there you are. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes you're a group like Doctor God who gets a TV show and other projects that we'll talk about in a second. And sometimes you're you know uh, Mama's apple pie in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, you're like, yeah, I remember those days. Those were good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing is, like, some people, they, it, it, you know, it just depends on their intent. Like, some people don't want, they just want to, you know, and that's fine. They just want to do improv for improv's sake, you know. that's There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally great. Um, but that wasn't our intention. You know, we wanted we wanted to do more than that. And so that's sort of what we set our sights on. Right. Um, who can you point to as, as influences? You know, no, it's, it's kind of uncharted, uh, uncharted waters. But you know, were there were there other groups, other things that you looked at and said, "Well, we we could base it pretty loosely on this," or did you make it completely yeah. up as you went? No, I mean, like uh, the uh, Broken Lizard guys, they all went to my college, Colgate University, but like ten or eleven years before me. Wow! And they they founded um, an improv group there called Chard Goosebeak that I then joined once I was uh, at Colgate. Right. And then they brought 
they came on campus when they had super troopers and they got in touch with me through like the activities board or the Colgate activity board or something. And because they wanted to meet the people in the improv group and they all invited us to see the movie and then we all hung out and I stayed in touch with them. And, um, and then when I graduated, I went down to Mexico and worked on club dread, which was like basically my first job, um, out of school. And so like, they certainly were an example of, you know, a group of guys who, went from being just a, you know, an, an improv comedy group to, you know, making movies, which initially was Puddle Cruiser, then Super Troopers, and then Club Dread, and then, you know, Beer Fest and Duke's Hazard and all this other stuff. Um, so it, they definitely were an example of a group of, uh, of people that sort of did it, you know, on their own. And, and um, again, that's another reason why it's so great to be able to, to work with them again and have, you know, have those guys on, Apocalypse, which is awesome, and and also it's just great to ask advice on how to you know certain things done. You know they they basically crowdfunded Super Troopers too, and they had us be a part of the um this sort of like telethon that they had to, to raise the money. And just seeing them do that and seeing them work over the years and and sort of you know be successful at it has been very very helpful. So they were certainly one example. Uh, yeah. And you get to work in, in, in tandem, you know, rather than competitively. I mean, of course, there's some competition, but not as much as, as you might think. You, you learn, and, and it's, it's a very friendly um, relationship between the two of you. And, oh, totally, yeah. I mean, they, and they tweet, you know, they, they, they've tweeted about our movie and telling people to go see it and stuff. And, it's, yeah, I wouldn't consider it a competition at all. It's, you know, there's plenty of room in the sandbox for, for – uh, for people to play you movie know. you say you must mean blood-sucking bastards yeah that's correct yeah <laughs> what, a, what a convenient segue <laughs> I'm a, we're professionals david um yes, so uh blood-sucking uh bastards the the new dr god uh feature film production right that's correct yeah that is right so available on uh on vod right now through the and good people at, at shoutcast right or shout uh, shout that? factory through the good people at shout factory. Shout factory, yeah, they were the the, the, the ones who picked up the distribution. So yeah, so we we um, presented that at Slam Dance this past March, and, um, and a couple different companies were interested in it. And Shout Factory um, was the best best fit for sure, and they have just been awesome with uh, with pushing the film and getting the word out. And um, it's a really nice you know fit. For us there with this movie and you know visiting the offices and doing some promo stuff for them um i was like a kid in the candy store because they have so many titles that they've re-released on blu-ray and, and dvd of movies that i absolutely love uh, you know whether it's old john carpenter stuff like like they live and salt up Precinct 13 and stuff like that right or you know um like halloween 3 season of the witch um which is like one of my favorite uh, horror movies for a variety of reasons. Um, but like walking on WKRP in Cincinnati and like all this stuff, you know, you walk around there. And, um, it's just such a cool thing. I used to work at my first job uh, in high school was uh, working at a video store. Remember those? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. In, in Dallas, Texas. And it's still around, which is crazy to me. I was just there uh, doing some PR stuff for the movie. And Premiere Video in Dallas, Texas is, is somehow weathered the uh, the storm of of Netflix and, and video on demand, but wow. anyway, um, back shout back. So they've, yeah, so it's a great fit, and uh, and and we're really happy with uh, 
with all that they've done with it. Well, and Shout and Factory really yeah. does such a such a great job with uh, you know the the care and the and the curation that they do. For example, the WKRP sets that come out, they uh, worked through a lot of the music licensing issues that prevented uh, WKRP from really being enjoyable in its previous video incarnations. Um, yeah, exactly. Or and, they, and it makes sense that they're able to do that because they the, the 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 founders of the company all came out of Rhino Records. Like they're the same people that they created Rhino Records. Right. And um, so it would make sense that they you know can navigate the the sort of labyrinthine world of uh, of music licensing and stuff. Oh, I do love the Rhino Records too. The 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 eighties yeah. and nineties and with uh, with Rhino was just so beautiful. Um, so on okay. your uh, your video on demand device, your Roku, your your uh, your um, Amazon Fire Hulu, TV, iTunes, Hulu, Hulu, yeah, um, you can check it out at all those different places. Well, um, let's let's tell them what the movie's all about. Sure. Yeah. So it is. It's basically it's like. Um, you know, Office Space meets uh, meets Shaun of the Dead or, or Fright Night in some ways. Pedro Pascal, who is fantastic and was great in Game of Thrones, and he's great right now on Narcos. Uh, he compared it to he's like I don't know what he says like Office Space and Shaun of the Dead, but for him, and I think he's right to a certain degree because I just rewatched it. He's like it reminds me more of Fright Night, um, which is another great '80s movie, the original one. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, it's sort of it's sort of about that. It's about it's about a corporate takeover. Of an office by uh, by vampires, and oh, so it's about radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 nice. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so it, it's it's about a group of individuals who find themselves beset um, by uh, by blood sucking bastards by by a group of, uh, of vampires who are taking over the, the company and actually making the company better, ironically enough, um, uh, in terms of sales, but worse in terms of souls. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so sort of took the script that Ryan Mitz originally wrote, and um, a producer friend of ours brought it to us and was like, I think that there's more in this than is there. And we reworked it and rewrote it and sort of rejiggered uh, certain things and um, cut out certain plots and reworked roles to sort of better suit our needs and. Um, and then we started getting, you know, talent attached to it, like Fran Kranz, um, and Cabin in the Woods, and uh, another Joss Whedon stuff, and um, Joey Kern, who is also from Super Troopers, um, who's great, who's from Cabin Fever, and uh, Joel Murray, who we knew from the improv community at IO, and from Mad Men, and uh, Pedro Pascal, I already mentioned, Emma Fitzpatrick from the collection series, and um, and then we. Uh, cast ourselves in a bunch of the other sort of supporting roles, and Brian directed. And um, yeah, we're super excited about you know a making it, and then b actually getting distribution so that people can see it. You know, and you didn't have to uh, you didn't have to worry about theater distribution. You uh, you really uh, took advantage of the of the technology that we have now, which is phenomenal. You don't have to stand in well, line. You, you can you watch it well, right you, now. You, yeah, which is great. We, I mean, we did have a theatrical release too. We went, we opened in thirteen uh, North Amer- North American cities, and uh, we we played at, uh, down the street at the uh, Lamley NoHo Seven here in Los Angeles, which is great because it's practically walking distance from my house. Nice. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it happens you know simultaneously now. So you know, it, the theatrical release happened the exact same time as VOT release. Um, 
which is great in the sense that, like, you know, talking to friends that I grew up with who maybe weren't in one of those 13 cities, or family members, for that matter, um, you know, who are like, oh, it's, it's not playing in the theater. It's like, well, you can, you can just walk into your living room and order it right now. Um, so that was awesome, you know, and like you're saying, in terms of the technology available to us, it's been a real treat to be able to, you know, get it out to a variety of different places, like get it out ubiquitously, uh, simultaneously. So that's been great. So there you are. No matter where you are in the world right now, uh, Shout Factory has blood-sucking uh, bastards, and uh, you can you can rent it, you can own it, you can watch it on demand uh, right this very minute. If you uh, if you dig the uh, the office comedies and you dig the vampire and zombie genre, this is a, a nice match of the two. And of course, you get the uh, the great uh, trademark comedy of of, of Doctor God. Yeah, and, and you get yeah. to see a lot of the folks that you know from Mockpocalypse, and a lot of folks you, you know, it you watch it and you go, oh, I know that guy, I know that guy, I know that guy, you know, it's the guy from that thing. Yep. Yeah, and, totally. And there you are. So, so that's that's available to you. What uh, what's next? Yeah, well, like I said, we're uh, working on a on a cable pilot right now, and um, you really so can't talk too much about it. Of- Right. Yeah, I can't talk too much about that. And then another, a, a couple other projects we're working on. We have, we have a script that we um, have some interest in. That's it's it exists in sort of the same world, thematic world. It's sort of a supernatural comedy. Um, so it's not it's not so much a horror comedy as it is like a sort of a supernatural stoner comedy that uh, we're really excited about. That uh, hopefully we'll be shooting uh, come the new year. Which uh, which is a lot of fun, and it's a real it's a real buster of sorts. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just gonna keep keep on keeping on, and um, people can check us out at uh, drgodcomedy.com for show info and for the latest on you know what we're up to. Um, so yeah, we're 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 still churning out stuff and and uh, performing regularly. Great. Well, there you go. Keep your eyes open for them. Check the website. Check the movie. And, of course, most importantly, watch Mockpocalypse every Thursday on the Axis Cable Channel. Dave, thanks a lot, man. Yes. Hey, thank you so much. This has uh, been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.